Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is week three of Sex Ed. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time today, or if you've been away for a while, let me just give you a little bit of a catch-up. We've got a theme that we've been talking about for the last two weeks, and and, uh, we'll talk about this same thing today, and next week will be the last message in this series. In fact, next week we're talking about what single people need to know about sex, but our theme has been this, and if you're taking notes this morning, you can jot this down, or I, I don't remember if I left blanks on your, on your sheet, but our theme is this, very simply, great sex that honors God starts with your mind. And so we've been talking about what you need to know, what you need to think about, how you need to orient your brain in order to have a great sex life. And if you want to have great sex that honors God, give me a good loud amen. Amen. All right. We're on it. So really, truly, this is not a joke. It's not an overestimation. If you want to have great sex that honors God, it starts with your mind. But the problem in our culture has been this. Satan has been the sex ed teacher for many, many years. And we've got a lot of things that have infiltrated our minds, beliefs that have found their lodging in our hearts that are not true. And so as a result, we've got lots of people all over the world, who are having mediocre sex that dishonors God. And as Christians, I believe that it ought to be different. So that's why we're talking about what we need to believe. In fact, this is what John 8, says about the devil. It says, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But Jesus said this about himself. He said, you will know the truth, Jesus being the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. So this morning before we jump into uh, a scripture from the Bible, let me just ask you this, uh, just a little bit of a division of the house. How many of you here are single? Big hand raise. Okay, own it. No, no shame. Look at, look around. Look at all the single people we've got at Connect Church. This is awesome. I love you. I love you. Married people, raise your hand. If you're married, raise your hand. Okay, we've got a lot of married people. Single people, how many of you that are single plan to be married? Well, I should say hope, right? I've got some single friends who are losing hope, but you would like to be married someday. Okay. Raise your hand real high if you would like to be married someday, okay? Now, whether you raised your hand as a married person or if you raised your hand as a single person who hopes to be married someday, here's my last question for you. How many of you are planning to commit adultery sometime in the future? Who raised their hand? Oh, JJ, boo. Everybody give JJ a boo. Come on. <laughs> I, I think it was a joke. I, I, it was a joke, right, JJ? All right. He just always has to be contrary. Uh, that was significant, though. Uh, uh, you know, we've, we've got 150 or so people in this room, right? Maybe more. And of all of you that raise your hand saying you're either married or you hope to be married someday, we only had one who raised his hand as a joke. 
and said that he was planning on committing adultery. However, this is how sly the devil is. Studies show that over 50% of men and 42% of women will commit adultery in their lives. 50% of men, 42% of women will commit adultery sometime in their lives. And, And here's the thing that I believe about this. I believe that the vast majority of those people never planned on committing adultery. Even if I were talking to groups of married and single people that were not Christians, I bet very few of them would say they planned it. But the problem is the devil, who's our sex education teacher out in the world, is very tricky, he's very crafty, and here's his main strategy. You can write this down. The devil wants you to believe that you are missing out. Bottom line, the devil wants you to believe that you're missing out. And if you're missing out, he's going to put circumstances in your path. He's going to put uh, opportunities for you to develop relationships. And he's going to lead you down this tricky path to lead you into adultery. And as a result, it's very questionable whether or not your marriage can survive that kind of trauma. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you've got your Bibles this morning, you could turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. The book of Proverbs is a great, great collection of sayings of wisdom of Solomon and and some other wise teachers from Israel. But Proverbs chapter 5 in particular deals with adultery. That's what the whole chapter is about. And we're going to just camp out in Proverbs chapter 5 this week. Uh, All of the scriptures will be up on the screen today. Uh, but you can certainly follow along in your Bibles or on your electronic devices if you want to. Uh, I want to start with verse 3 in Proverbs chapter 5. It's already up there on, on the screen, and I want you to hear this, talking about people who commit adultery. Proverbs 5 verse 3 says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Would you just read that verse out loud with me? Read it with me, would you? For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. What does that mean? I I, I don't think that the writer of this chapter necessarily wanted to pick on women or say that women are more responsible for adultery than men. I, I think it goes both ways. This could talk about men or women. But when it says that the adulterous woman drips honey from her lips and her speech is smoother than oil, what it means is that the person that comes to tempt you is a smooth talker, right? The person that comes to tempt you, even if it's the devil himself, what it's talking about is there's a smoothness, there's a seductiveness, there is a a way of arousing to desire that is tricky and could cut you off at the knees if you're not aware and if you're not thinking right and if you're not on guard against the person through whom this kind of temptation could come. Now, Now, the devil attacks us in our minds. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. And when it comes to adultery and marital infidelity, it's so true of what happens in your brain. 
You see, what happens in marriage is a lot of times you may get a little bored in your marriage or, or something may change in your marriage over time. Maybe your spouse has put on a few pounds or, or whatever it is and you start mingling with members of the opposite sex and all of a sudden you find somebody that for whatever reason appears to be more appealing than the person that you're married to and all of a sudden something shifts in your mind and you start looking at somebody other than your spouse. Or maybe you've become bored with your sex life in your marriage and, and you just feel like it's just always the same, nothing ever changes, there's no excitement, there's no spice and so you become bored and all of a sudden your mind starts thinking, well maybe if I checked out some pornographic videos, or maybe if I engaged with another person, it would bring that excitement into my life that I'm lacking in my marriage. Or maybe you've lost your emotional connection with your spouse, and you start thinking, boy, I just don't feel like my husband is taking care of me, or I don't feel like my wife is really attending to my emotional needs. I'm just, I'm frustrated because I don't have this emotional connection. The romance has gone out of my relationship. And so I start looking at other women or other men other than the person I'm married to. You see, the, the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. It's tricky. But what I want you to know this morning is that you have a choice. And Proverbs chapter 5 lays it out really clearly for us. And we're going to look at three verses in particular in the next few minutes that talk about the choice we have. And so uh, I, I want to have us scan down, if you've got your Bibles open, down to verse 18. And I want us to look at the first choice we have when it comes to our sexual relationship within marriage. So uh, verse 18 and 19 of Proverbs chapter 5 reads this way. Here we go. You ready? Buckle your seatbelts because this is hot stuff. Okay? Verse 18 says this. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May the Lord... Bring blessing to the reading of his word. I I know what you women are thinking, all right? What's the deal with this topic, right? When when we get to verse 20, it's going to use breasts again in the scripture. And and all I have to say, these verses were written almost 3,000 years ago. Ladies, you just got to know, God's hardwired us this way. We like that part of your anatomy, and it's just, it's always been this way. It's never going to change. Okay, so I'm, my own face is turning red. Okay. I tried to wear a shirt today that would uh, dissipate the red, but I don't know if it's working. I can feel myself flushing. Okay. It, <laughs> Okay, men, read that last sentence with me so I'm not the only one reading. Okay, here we go. Men, come on. Let her breasts satisfy you always. I want to key in, not on the word breasts, I want to key in on the word satisfy, okay? I put it in yellow to try to keep us on task here. Let satisfy. Now, here's what I want you to know. The Hebrew language 
The Hebrew language that this section of the Bible was written in is a beautiful language, and the words in Hebrew, some of the words of Hebrew paint pictures, almost, almost like art. And when Hebrew is translated into English, sometimes it takes four, five, or six words to convey the same image that one word in Hebrew can convey. And the word satisfy is one of those words. It's a great word. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Satisfy in the Hebrew is the word ravah. Would you say ravah? Ravah. And, and the word picture that this word paints is this. It means to be satisfied or to be saturated or to be intoxicated, all right? Satisfied, saturated. It's, it like, it's painting the picture of like you're just pouring water on something until it gets plenty. Have you ever been so thirsty Have you ever been so thirsty that you just couldn't get enough water, but you drink and you drink and you drink, and all of a sudden you get to that point where you're like, yes, there's enough, okay? This is what the writer of Proverbs chapter 5 is saying your sex life in your marriage ought to be like. Men, when you are involved in lovemaking with your wife, it ought to be the kind of lovemaking that at the end you just say, wow, I am satisfied, I'm saturated, I'm even intoxicated with the love of my wife. All right? Satisfied. Rava. Say Rava one more time. Rava. Now, the next verse, verse 20 in chapter 5, gives us a second choice. And the writer says this. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman? Actually, the literal translation would be by a strange woman. It's talking about having sex with strangers. Why be captivated, my son, with an immoral woman or to fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? And the word captivated is another one of those Hebrew words that paints a picture And this word in the Hebrew language is the word shakah. Say shakah. One more time. Shakah. You got it? Captivated. And the word picture that this one is painting means this. means to swerve, to meander in drunkenness, or to be devoured. Now, do you hear the difference between ravah the satisfying, saturating relationship in marriage, or shakah, having sex with someone you're not married to, adultery, in which you become captured, you become devoured, you're swerving through life, and what it's really describing is that you're coming to a point of total disaster in your life. And, and what I believe that the writer of Proverbs is teaching us is that if we choose the path of adultery, if we swerve into that area, we are choosing to fall into a trap that will capture us and devour us instead of bringing the blessing and the satisfaction that God intends sexual relationship within marriage to have. And this is what I want you to know. Satan wants you to be devoured. Satan wants you to be devoured. Do you remember the verse that we read two weeks ago? If you were here, 
it said that, that Satan is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And, and in our culture, I think a lot of times we have dismissed the notion of Satan or the devil, thinking it's kind of like Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. He's just kind of this mythological figure. I want you to know today, he's not a mythological creature. He's out to destroy you. He is out to devour you. And one of the ways he will do that is by enticing you to engage in an adulterous relationship. That's one of his strategies, and it will destroy you. Now, one of the things that can happen sometimes in church environments is we can, come, uh, we can become very focused on the physical act of adultery. But what Jesus taught was that even lust can be something that captivates us and devours us. Jesus said that if a man looks on a woman with adultery in his heart, he has already committed the act. This is one of the reasons why pornography is so destructive is because it captivates our minds, it devours us, and and although we may not have crossed a line physically, even on an emotional plane, we have become shakah, devoured and captured, captivated by the allure of an adulterous woman or a man. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If you can just imagine a man who goes into his prayer room or his prayer closet, which is kind of a biblical term. In my house, it's a prayer chair. I have a little chair that I call my prayer chair. That's where I read my Bible. It's where I pray, and and I try to spend some time every day sitting in that prayer chair and spending some time with God. Imagine a man who goes and sits in his prayer chair or in his prayer closet and spends an hour reading the Bible, praying, spending time in the presence of God, what's he going to be like when he comes out of that hour of of communion with God? What's he going to be like? He's going to be peaceful. He's going to be joyful. He's going to have read something in God's word that changes the way he thinks. He's going to come out. He's going to say, wow, I I need to be a better husband. I, I need to serve my wife today. I just want to love her, be a godly husband. I'm going to go in the backyard and clean up dog poop. I'm just going to... I'm." I'm going to be super husband, right? Dwight is shaking his head no. That, that's never happened to you? Not cleaning dog poop. All right. But you understand what I'm saying, right? That when we spend an hour in the presence of the Lord, it just naturally causes us to care deeply for other people. It changes us, changes the way we think. But if this same man were to go and spend an hour sitting in front of a computer looking at pornography and just clicking from image to image to image, what's going to happen when he comes out of that room? He's going to have one thing on his mind that's going to be satisfying himself. And this is one of the things that happens with pornography in particular is it turns us into selfish, self-consumed, destructive people. It changes the way we view women. It changes the way we view society as a a whole. And and it's this matter of shakah. We're we're captivated. We're devoured. And we don't become better people. We become selfish pigs. Have you paid attention to the news uh, on the MSU campus about this pornography movie that the the, the student union was going to play in the Procrastinator Theater towards the end of the the campus. Uh, I, I've, I've read some of that, and Patrick sent a link to me this week uh, alerting me to that news, and 
the student union decided to pull that movie and show Star Wars instead, and I think that's a much better decision. But there's, there's some students that are insisting that they show this uh, pornographic movie in a public forum, and it was interesting. One of the news items that I read mentioned that the star of this particular film has said that uh, every time a person watches that movie, they are witnessing her being raped because she was forced to perform that movie with a gun pointed at her head. And, and, and listen, Satan would like us to believe that porn is awesome. We talked about that last week. Or at the very least, Satan would like us to believe that porn is victimless. Nobody gets hurt. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The people that are in those films are being exploited, and when we watch them, we travel down the road of shakah. We're being captivated and devoured by those images. And I want to encourage you in changing the way you think. It's not always just about the act. It's also about what happens in your mind. You with me? That would be a good place for a good hearty amen. I hate it when I have to coach you, but sometimes, you know, whatever. <laughs> now, the last couple of weeks, I've shared with you a video about what Satan is trying to teach us in our culture. And uh, today, I've got a video as well, a little bit different. But if you listen carefully, you'll hear some of the whisperings of Satan and what he's teaching us in our culture. Mrs. Jones, we got a thing going on. We both know that it's wrong, but it's much too strong to let it go now. Every day at the same cafe, 6.30 and no one knows she'll be there, holding hands, making all kinds of plans, while the jukebox plays our favorite songs. Yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, we got a thing going on. We both know that it's wrong, but it's much too strong to let it go now. Gotta be extra careful 
So much inside Now, why do I say that there's a message from Satan in there? Well, if you you paid attention to that video and you kind of let yourself get lost in it, man, he makes an affair sound good, doesn't he? I mean, makes me want to hook up with Mrs. Jones a little bit, you know? I don't do that. I don't go there. But there's a lot of messages in there. It's like the tension in the music, man, that angst and that romance and the tension. It sounds so desirable, right? And, and you know, there's that little confession in there. We both know that it's wrong. And it's like if I say, we both know that it's wrong, maybe it's not really that bad as long as I say that it's wrong, but I'm still going to meet her at the cafe at 6.30, right? And, and there's just those subtle things in our culture. They're everywhere, They're everywhere that are convincing us that you are missing out and you need a Mrs. Jones in your life. And really the only person that needs Mrs. Jones is Dwight. He's sitting over here. It's probably your favorite song, isn't it, Dwight? His last name is Jones, if you... In your notes, this won't be up on the screen, but in your notes, I put down eight baby steps 
to adultery. And I just want to go over these quickly for you. I want you to think about this because honestly, very seldom does the devil just bring adultery and smack you in the face with it. It happens subtly because because Satan knows that if you're a Christian, you're not just going to go here. It takes a little work on his part. So it usually starts like this. You find somebody and you've just got a common interest. Maybe it's somebody that you've met at soccer practice and, and, and you're there with your kid and there's somebody else and, and you just start talking and chatting and, and, and it, does, it seems perfectly innocent. Maybe it's somebody at work, but there's a commonality that you have. But then you start sharing personal information. And all of a sudden it goes from just somebody that you have common interest with to somebody that you're revealing yourself to. That's step number two. And then pretty soon emotions start to get charged as you begin to anticipate time together and you're looking forward to that soccer game a little bit more than you normally would. And then step number four is when you start hiding this relationship from your spouse because you know your spouse would get ticked if he knew there there was some guy that you were confiding in all the time. And then the next step, you don't just jump into bed together, but You start flirting with touches. Maybe it's just a touch on the arm or a hug that lingers too long. And they're touches that begin to arouse you. And then number six, you begin to invent excuses to call or to meet. You don't really have a good reason, but you're inventing reasons. Number seven is when you start lying about it. You keep the relationship from your spouse And then finally, after this long, long process, you finally engage sexually. It's baby steps, one step at a time that finally ends up in adultery. And you find yourself in that Hebrew word, shakah. So today, let me wrap it up this way. I want to help you escape the shakah trap. Let me give you a couple of principles today and then some some good suggestions to live by to escape the shakah trap. And step number one is this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Visualize the devastation. Visualize the devastation. Let me take you back in in Proverbs chapter 5, back to that verse 3 and read a couple of more verses in that paragraph. The writer says, the lips of the immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to what? Death. And her steps lead straight to the grave. It's describing that shagah trap. That she looks and sounds really great, but in the end, there's devastation. Now listen, if you want to shield your marriage from adultery, you've got to start playing the scenarios in your mind about what really happens if you were to have a sexual affair with somebody else. In my life, it goes like this. I know that if I were to have an affair, the first thing that would happen is it would wipe my wife out. And and let me tell you, quite honestly... I love my wife. She is my very best friend. And I don't like to hurt her. Sometimes I accidentally do things that are unkind. But I don't like it when she hurts. And I don't like it when I, in particular, hurt her. If I were to have an affair, I know it would destroy her. It would be the most selfish thing that I could ever do. And it would be so destructive to her life. And she doesn't deserve that. 
So I think about that. I, I don't want that to happen. The other thing that I know that would happen, if I were to have an affair, I'd lose my job, right? You all wouldn't keep me around. Am I, am I right? Am I, am I visualizing correctly? All right. I, I'd lose my job. I, I, I don't know if Connect Church could even survive if I were to have an affair. There, there's a bunch of you here that have come to Jesus just recently because of the ministry of this church. And if I were to cheat on my wife and cheat on all of you, I can imagine that there would be a bunch of people that would go, well, if Pastor Russ can't keep it together, why would I waste my time on this Jesus thing? So not only would I be sinning against myself and against my wife, there might be a bunch of people that spend eternity in hell because of my selfishness. Now, when you visualize affairs in your mind, you might think about your kids or your grandkids or the, the things that would happen to you. But what I'm saying is, is visualize the devastation. See, a lot of times, a lot of times we don't visualize the devastation. We just visualize Mrs. Jones, right? And we're thinking about how fun she could be in the sack. The truth is we need to focus on the devastation because this is not something that doesn't have consequences. So think through it before you even start with those baby steps to adultery. Visualize the devastation. Here's number two. Number two, shield your marriage from the slaughter. And that word slaughter, I think, is a good description. If you go down and succumb to the trap of Shagah, it can be a slaughter. Chris and I love hiking, and we love the national parks. It's, it's a privilege to live so close to Yellowstone, isn't it? And, uh, but we have to say, we say it frequently, uh, our favorite national park that we've ever been to is Glacier National Park. Anybody with me? You love Glacier? Our favorite trail in our favorite national park is the Iceberg Lake Trail. And if you've ever been there, it's a long hike. I think it's six miles one way to get to Iceberg Lake. It's stunningly beautiful. And Chris and I have done that hike a number of times. And one of the times that we were on that trail, we had been to the lake and we were heading back to our car. And, and the trail just goes uh, almost level for many, many miles along the side of a mountain. And, and, and the trail falls off dramatically. And then the, the peaks are rising above us. And as we were walking back to the parking lot, uh, one day, we looked up the mountain, and probably 200 yards away from us, we could see a grizzly bear uh, walking parallel to us. And, uh, and there was nowhere to go, you know, because we're, at, at this point that we spotted the grizzly, I think we were probably four miles away from our car, and going back to the lake really wasn't a good option because the day was getting late, we didn't have camping gear. And so, you, you know, our choice is to get back to the car, but the whole time we're walking, we're watching that grizzly bear. And my wife is a big believer in, in uh, the idea that if you make lots of noise and make the bears know you're there, that they'll leave you alone. So we see that bear, she starts singing, you know, and it's one of the few times I've encouraged her to sing. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so fired, huh? <laughs> Thank you. Visualize the devastation. I should have thought that one through. <laughs> but the whole time, Chris is singing loudly and on tune, may I say. And, um, 
She's singing, and we're walking faster and faster. And we know that you're never supposed to run from a grizzly, right? So we start talking. Okay, if that grizzly comes down, down the mountain, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to protect ourselves? And we're thinking about, you know, the crouch thing and make sure that you get your pack so that it protects you and all that kind of stuff. And, and we're just making the plans. And thankfully, we got to the end of the trail, and the grizzly left us alone. But I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do to protect myself? What am I going to do to protect my wife if that grizzly should charge? All right? Uh, same thing in your marriage. You've got to make a plan for how you're going to shield yourself from adultery. Proverbs 5, 8 says this, very simply, stay away from the adulteress. Just stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. So to wrap this up, can I just give you some good suggestions for how to live your life to shield your marriage from adultery? Here's the first one. Never be alone with the opposite sex. Never be alone with the opposite sex unless it's your partner, unless it's your spouse. This is just a good way to live your life because if you're not alone with people of the opposite sex, you're never gonna be tempted to do something inappropriate. When Chris and I were engaged even, we tried really hard to make sure that there were always people around us. When she, she was living in Idaho, I was in Montana. When she would come to visit me or I went to visit with her, uh, we would stay in other people's homes. She never stayed in my home. She didn't even stay in my parents' home. She just stayed with somebody else to make sure that we weren't tempted to do something inappropriate. And it's, it's just a good way to live your life, even if it's not somebody you're romantically involved with. Don't be alone. Stay in public. Keep other people around you. Don't be alone. It's a good habit. Sometimes it's a lot of work to live your life that way. But let me tell you, it's smart. It's smart. Here's the second one. Choose to never discuss your marriage with somebody of the opposite sex. Don't discuss your marriage with somebody of the opposite sex, especially if you're having trouble. Find a good friend you can confide in. Go to your small group leader. Uh, go to your uh, go to somebody in your spiritual community of the same sex and talk to them about what's going on in your marriage. If you need help, get help, but don't choose some dude at your office that you could fall into temptation with, okay? Don't do it. Thirdly, don't hang around in the wrong environments. Don't hang around in the wrong environments. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know what it looks like for me. I know what puts me into temptation's path. I don't go there. And you need to make those choices too, even if you think it's fun. I'll tell you what, I can't even count the number of couples Chris and I have counseled. And, and one of the partners says, I just like to go out with the guys. And, 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 and we ask him, you know, well, where do you go? Well, sometimes we go to the strip club or sometimes a woman will say, I like to go dancing with the girls. And what, what happens in those places is you're tempted with sexual images, sexual contact, people that are looking for a hookup, don't go there. It's stupid, and it leads you on the trail of destruction in your marriage. Just don't go there. Uh, what number are we on? Four or five, whatever it is. Um, four, always nurture your relationship with Christ. This one is so important. Always nurture your relationship with Christ. You know what? The honest truth is... Uh, it's easy to get busy in your life. It's easy to not take the time to read your Bible and to pray every day and, and keep that relationship with Christ going. But when we are full of the Spirit of Christ, 
we make better choices. And if you want to protect your marriage in particular, you've got to make sure you've got a vibrant living relationship with Jesus. Uh, next one, always keep accountability. You need somebody in your life that's checking up on you and asking you how you're doing. And then finally, last one, always water your own grass. Always water your own grass. Okay, this is a metaphor. Do you need me to spell it out for you? I'm going to spell it out for you. I know that life gets busy. Your job makes demands on you. Those of you that have little kids, I know what kids can do to a marriage relationship. Do you know that there have been significant studies made that say that kids would rather, listen to this, this changes the way you think, kids would rather have mom and dad love each other than love them. That's what kids say. You need to take care of your marriage. Uh, I strongly suggest that couples have a date night at least once every week, okay? Married couples, Get out of the house, get away from your kids, do whatever it takes to have a date night that ends in watering your grass, okay? You need to water your own grass. You need to take vacations where you get away from friends and family members and you reconnect. Uh, when Chris and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary, the church we were serving in gave us a trip to Maui for, uh, for an anniversary gift. So we went away, I don't remember if it was a week or 10 days, whatever it was, and, and we reconnected on that trip. You know what we realized on the trip? We realized that in 10 years of marriage, we had never taken a vacation alone. It had always been with friends or family members. There's no grass getting watered when you're in your mother-in-law's home, <laughs> right? Married couples, listen to me. You're laughing, but listen to me. Get away and water your grass because if you're not watering your grass, the cow you're living with is going to look at the neighbor's field. I was not referring to my cow. No. Oh, I better quit, right? <laughs> let's wrap this up and then we're going to sing I think you got a little bit more on your notes don't you okay I know that this message has probably caught some of you too late you've already gone to Shagah this is how I want to wrap it up today I want you to know that even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. I want you to know that. Here's what 2 Timothy 2.13 says. If we are unfaithful, God remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. And I've painted a pretty bleary picture of adultery. And I hope that I'm getting through to some of you that maybe you're on that slippery slope. Because it can destroy you. But I also know, I know a bunch of couples that have, have been healed from the devastation of adultery. If you've already been there and you're still with your spouse, I want you to know Jesus can put it back together. He can heal you. If you're struggling with guilt because of sin, I want you to know Jesus can forgive you and transform you. 
And it's not the end of the story for you. Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. We're going to pray in just a moment. But why don't you put your things aside and stand and sing with Vic as she leads us in a beautiful worship song. And, and then we'll end the service in giving and in prayer together. Worthy is the Lamb.